Thanks, Ivan. Lord, we want to thank you for Bex. We want to uh, lift her up to you tonight. Lord, I thank you for what you put in her heart to bring tonight, Lord. And Lord, as we hear about this remarkable uh, episode in the history of the people of Israel, Lord, would you speak to us today? Would you encourage us tonight? And as we look at your word, Lord, would you um, inspire us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, as Mike said, these are unusual days, aren't they? Strange days we're in, and, and they can be really worrying. Um, I was talking to um, a mum here last week, and she said she'd been at school, at the school gates, and there was a group of mums, and one of them said to her, oh, have you, had, um, have you booked your pre-isolation treatments? And she thought, oh my gosh, I've missed some kind of major NHS announcement. There's something I need to be doing. What were they talking about? Hair? Eyebrows, fake tan. <laughs> I am serious. <laughs> like, you're going into isolation? The whole point is you're not going to see anyone? <laughs> no doubt we will be seeing them on Instagram. But there we go. <laughs> I also heard um, that there has been a run on Prosecco at Godalming Waitrose. So forget Lou Roll. There is a group of beautiful-looking women somewhere having a really good time in isolation. <laughs> Don't know about you, but I'd like to join them. <laughs> there we go. And I tell you that story, I was a little bit like, oh, should I tell you that story tonight? It's a little bit facetious, given the environment we're in. But actually, it also makes a point. And that's what I'm talking about tonight. I'm talking about the things in our lives that we worship, the things that give us security, uh, all under the umbrella of the Exodus story and Moses and the Israelites. So I've told it, so there we go. Um, the title of my talk is sort of Staying Faithful. And uh, as I was thinking about that, I thought, well, so what? You know, what, staying faithful, what does that even mean? Why do I sort of even care about that? And I was reminded, because I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I um, didn't grow up going to church. I went to university, and one of the first friends I made there was a girl called Emma, and she was a Christian. And she was the first Christian I'd met, who was normal for a start, so that was a bonus. Uh, she was actually really vivacious and fun, and she introduced me to God, and she introduced me to, to a person who was alive, who cared about me, who loved me, who wanted the best for me. And it was that relationship that drew me into faith. And I think that's what staying faithful is about, is about putting that relationship first and remembering who God is and what he wants in our life. So um, I tell you that story to just remind us that actually staying faithful is about having a life that's really exciting and life-transforming. So I'd say ever since then, I've been trying to be faithful. And it's definitely... <laughs> been a bit of a journey like that, which I think is really normal. So the story tonight, as Mike said, is Moses and the golden calf. I've got um, a slide for this. Now remember, Exodus is the story of the people of Israel being released from slavery in Egypt, isn't it? They've been under Pharaoh, they've been oppressed, there's been all sorts of awful things going on. And then Moses comes along and saves them. There's a whole load of plagues first, and then they go out into the desert with Moses. They flee. They're out in the desert, and they see incredible miracles, incredible signs of God's provision with manna from heaven, this sort of 
food that appears on the dew and the grass, don't they? And they see the parting of the Red Sea. It's phenomenal. Then they arrive at Mount Sinai. And um, at Mount Sinai, they wait at the base of the mountain. And God comes with a cloud over the mountain. And there's a storm. And there's trumpets. And then this voice comes out of the mountain. And this is what we heard about last week, didn't we? When God tells them the Ten Commandments. I mean, it's extraordinary. It's an amazing thing that happens. So that's happened. Then um, Moses has come back down, and then everyone's waiting around the base of the mountain. And then Moses says, well, I'm just going to go back up the mountain and have a bit more of a chat with God. So he goes up off the mountain, and the Israelites are left at the base of the mountain. This is where the golden calf story comes in. So I'm just going to read you this story, which is Exodus 32. If you want to get your Bibles out, feel free. Feel free to just listen. It also should pop up on the screen, hopefully, if all of that's working. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterwards, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, go down, because your people, whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. They've been quick to turn away from what I've commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They've bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, O Israel, who you brought up out of Egypt. I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation." But Moses sought the favor of the Lord, his God. O Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent. Do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Now, I think the slide stops there. I'm just going to read you one more verse because it will make us feel a little bit better. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. I thought that would probably be a nicer place to stop. And if I do carry on, it does get a bit crazy. If you're not sure about this story, I encourage you to go home later and read it, because it is a bit nuts. But there we go. Oops, dropped my little cards there. Just give me a moment.
Oh no, look at this. It's all going wrong, isn't it? <laughs> Let's just stay calm. Right, talk amongst yourselves. Just for a moment, nothing to see here. It's all good. Right. Disaster. There we go. Disaster averted. Right. Where were we? So, the Israelites have... Um, they've had their... Um, the, the Ten Commandments, they've, they've come down the mountain, you know, Moses has come down the mountain. They, they um, or, sorry, Moses up the mountain, let's get this right, Moses up the mountain, the Israelites down at the bottom going, what the heck do we do now? What on earth do we do? He's, you know, God's, he's not here. And they, they decide to make this calf, don't they? Now, remember, they've just had this incredible time with the coming of the Ten Commandments, with the storm and the trumpets, and it must have been a crazy audio-visual feast. But then, what do, can, can we remember, can we just remind ourselves, what are the first two commandments that they hear at that time? Shout them out, feel free. You shall have no other gods before me, number one. What's number two? will have no idols. So no other God before me and no idols. So what do they do? They make a golden idol. Brilliant. I love the Israelites because they're very human and they make me feel better because they had this incredible experience and yet they decide to still make idols. So there we go. Now, I don't know what you think about when you hear the word idol. I, uh, I don't know whether you think of Simon Cowell and some kind of pop idol. Maybe you think of someone like Michelle Obama. She's one of my favorites. Maybe you're, if you're into TikTok, it's a bit of Holly H. She is an idol, I think, for some people. Um, or, as my 12-year-old son um, decided to let me know today, PewDiePie, one of his idols. Great. The students get that one. There we go. Good. On the right track. Maybe you think of a rustic statue with a primitive people sort of bowing down at, at some kind of altar. I'd like to suggest, though, that we all have idols in our life, things that get in the way of our incredible life-giving relationship with the creator God who loves us and has good things for us, the one who's alive, who wants to connect with us deeply. So that's my first point. We all have idols. And this is verse 1 in this passage we've just read. Come make us gods who will go before us. Now, I don't know who um, your childhood idol was. Mine was Madonna, much to my mum's displeasure, because I think I spent a lot of time cutting out fishnet tights and wearing them on my, not only on my legs, but on my arms and anywhere else I could probably fit them, and um, backcombing my hair and generally looking like I'd just got out of bed. So there we go. So what is an idol? Well, some cultures do still worship rustic statue idols, don't they? But we don't really do that in Guildford 2020. So what are our idols? What, what does that mean for us today? Tim Keller has written a brilliant book on this called Counterfeit Gods. If you haven't read it, I really, really recommend it. And he has got something to say on this. Our contemporary society is not fundamentally different from these ancient ones. Each culture is dominated by its own set of idols. Each has priesthoods, its totems and rituals. Each one has shrines, whether office towers, spas, gyms, studios, or stadiums where sacrifices must be made in order to procure the good life and ward off disaster. 
So what I think Tim Keller is saying is that every human heart must live for something. Something must capture our, our hopes and dreams. We need something to attach ourselves to, something that sort of feeds our well-being, something that gives us security. Now, in contemporary society, those things are things like fame, success, power, money, beauty, busyness, knowledge, achievement, sport. These things become idols, but sort of internal idols, if you like, and they are universal. And why are they idols? Well, they're idols because they get in the way of God being number one, of us being able to stay faithful to our creator. They can sort of rise up in their significance and importance in our lives if we're not careful and absorb our heart and imagination. And if we look to them to seek to give us what only God can give us, that's when it can become problematic. And these idols, let's make no mistake, can really um, rule us. They can rule our hearts and minds. If we take something like money, power, success, and we elevate it to a status where it's sort of number one in our lives, we risk neglecting people, the relationships, the, the people in our lives we actually love and value. We risk compromising our integrity. But what about something like body image? What about beauty? If we elevate that, what happens? Well, we can fall into things like eating disorders and gym obsession and depression as we worship at the altar of Love Island. <laughs> of course, none of these attachments or things we put our security in are in and of themselves bad. They're not inherently bad things. Again, Tim Keller has something to say about this. Thanks, Mo. We think idols are bad things, Tim Keller says, but that is almost never the case. The greater the good, the more likely we are to expect that it can satisfy our deepest needs and hopes. Anything can be a god, especially the very best things in life. The very best things in life. So in our story that we're reading about um, Moses and um, the people of God, the golden calf, I want to just take you back a little bit, back to Pharaoh's palace. And this is just before the Israelites are freed by Moses. They've just had all the crazy plagues. Moses is, is pleading with Pharaoh, please let the people go. And Pharaoh is saying, no. And then one night, he relents and he says, okay. I'm broken. These plagues have broken me. You can go. And Moses says, great. Uh, I would like some jewelry, please, from the people in Egypt. Because that's what God had promised him. He promised him plunder from the people of Egypt. So all the Egyptians give the Israelites their gold and silver earrings, their jewelry. And the Israelites take it as a sign of God's favor and his faithfulness and his promise to them that he's with them and that he is bringing them into freedom. So I think you know where I'm going with this. Those, the jewelry that they were given, the Israelites were given, is the same jewelry that they melt down um, and make into a golden calf when they're at the base of Mount Sinai. So they've taken something that was a gift from God, that was something that spoke of God's faithfulness, and they've actually turned it into an idol and worshipped it 
them, themselves. Now, I wonder how often we do that with things in our lives. What gifts do, does God give us that we take and actually allow to become gods themselves? You see, idols are often the best things in life that have just come out of their proper place. And I think we all have idols. I've certainly got lots of things like that I can think of. So, number two, my point number two is that our idols lead to disconnection. Our idols get in the way of us living our best life with God, the best life he has for us. And in the story we've heard, this is verses five to seven, so I've got a slide coming up for that. Thank you, Mo. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But I want to take you um, back to Manchester in the late 90s. This is where I went to university. This is where I met my friend Emma. And I would say that at that point in time, I mean, I like clothes, but at that point in time, I think I loved clothes a little bit too much. They were probably a bit of an idol for me. And one um, year, I became a little bit obsessed with this pair of like chunky snakeskin loafers that I really wanted, but I couldn't afford. I was a student. So I was having a chat with my dad, and he managed to pick up on the fact somehow, perhaps by my very unsubtle hints, that I really wanted this pair of shoes. And he said, you know what, Bex, I'm going to give you some money, and you can go and buy them. And I was so chuffed. So I went off to buy these shoes. And when I finally, you know, tried them on, well, I was between sizes. Does anyone else have that? So annoying. Like, the sevens were just a bit too big, and the sixes were just a little bit tight. And I was like, right, what am I going to do? Well, I thought, I'm having them, because that's what I want. So I bought the sevens, and I had to wear, like, three pairs of socks, and that was fine, and it all went well when I was wearing trousers. Then I wanted to wear them with, like, a skirt or a dress didn't work because they just fell off. So my dad had also given me some money. He was supporting me for like my rent, for food. So I went back to the shop and bought the sixes as well because I thought I can bear that sort of tightness if I'm wearing a dress because obviously it looks really good. <laughs> Stupid. So I end up with two pairs of shoes, neither of which fit me. And I end up with a whole heap of guilt and shame and disconnection from my dad, who was incredibly generous giving me this money. And I can't wear them anyway. So they go in the back of my wardrobe and that's that. You see, our idols cause disconnection. They cause disconnection between uh, ourselves, uh, between each other, sorry, and for ourselves and with God, if we're not careful. See, these attachments we feel we need for our well-being often lead to shame. They don't lead to freedom. But our relationship with idols is really complicated because we want them and we don't want them. What do I mean by that? Well, everyone knows uh, Joe Wick's Lean in 15. Right, we all want to be that kind of fit with that lean body, don't we? But actually, we don't want to kill ourselves with a ridiculous fitness regime and eating sort of not very much, do we? So we've got those two things in tension. Or, you know, let's talk about money. I mean, who wouldn't really like to be loaded? I mean, I'd like to be loaded, but actually, I really hate the rampant materialism of our culture and society. You see, we want them, and we don't want them. That's the thing about idols. They can be lies that feel like truths. Oh, if I just 
could dot, 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 fill it with your idol. If I could just lose five kilograms, that would be great. If I could just find a boyfriend, then I could start my life properly. If I could just get that promotion, people would understand me a bit, a bit better, and so on and so on. They're lies that feel like truths. And the thing is, idols have a lot of positive to them. They have some real um, tangible positives to them, and that's what draws us in. You know, being fit is a really good thing. Taking care of your appearance, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, going for that promotion is brilliant. God's given us brains. Let's use them. Let's make, you know, make a difference. But actually, if they elevate to a kind of God status, that's when they can lead to bondage. And idols always require something of us as well. They require our time or energy or relationships or thought life. They're not for free. You know, we still sacrifice things to idols, just as back in the day people used to um, sacrifice to rustic idols. Now, Tim Keller's got um, another good quote on this I'd love to just read. This is about sacrificing actually sort of elements of our uh, character. Perfectionism, workaholism, chronic indecisiveness, the need to control the lives of others, all of these stem from making good things into idols that then drive us into the ground as we try to appease them. I mean, that's strong, isn't it? To drive us into the ground as we try to appease them. You see, these things disconnect us from God, our Father in heaven, who loves us, and who delights in us. This happens again with the Israelites. When we meet them at the base of Mount Sinai, they are insecure, they are abandoned, they feel hopeless, they feel lost, they've lost their leader. So Moses has gone up the mountain, and he tells them he's going to be 40 days, and they just don't, they, they actually miscount, that's what's happened, they miscount the days. So when they expect him to come back, he doesn't. It's actually because they've miscounted, but he doesn't come back. They're lost. And their gods disappeared as well. They've heard nothing. So what do they do? They go to Aaron, Moses' brother, and they say, can you lead us? You know, you're the one that's good with words. Can you lead us? And Aaron thinks, so oh, yeah, I could do that. Great. And then they go, could you give our God a face? Because he doesn't have a face. He's a faceless God. He's just up there somewhere in the clouds. Let's give him a face. So they make an idol. That's what they do. You see, they've lost their healthy attachments to Moses and to God, and so they go looking for something because their well-being is really seriously at stake. The thing about idols, though, is that they also take on a life of their own if we're not careful. So Aaron says, sure, let's make an idol. Brilliant. So they make an idol, they make the golden calf, and then they worship it. But then, I don't know if we can go back, Mo, to the slide with... No, sorry. Yes, perfect, that one. <laughs> uh, the start of this reading. So they've made this golden calf, they worship it, and then Aaron kind of gets caught up in this frenzy, and he just goes a bit mad, and he does five things. Can you, if we just have a look at the text, can people just shout out what are the five things they then do? He builds an altar. What else? That's one. Yep, they decide to have a festival. Great. What else? Yep, they make sacrifices. Brilliant. What else? 
Yeah, eat and drink, they have, a, they have a wild party, don't they? So that's the eating and drinking and then the revelry. Five things. He just, it just kind of runs away with itself. And I don't know about you, but I've, I find that with idols in my life. They sort of can just run away with themselves. And what does God say in response? This is the next slide. God says, the end of verse 7 there, they've become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away. So they've become corrupt. That's a disconnection amongst themselves. And they've turned away from God. That's a disconnection with God. I wonder how quick we are to turn away. I should mention here, obviously, with the coronavirus happening, I think one of the interesting things we were talking about this morning is that um, our idols are being crumbled. The things that we put our security in, that we rely on, our safety, our health, um, those kind of things are actually being crumbled. And I just think it's interesting. It's just good to mention that because people are feeling disconnected, aren't they? They're feeling anxious and, and a bit insecure. And I think it's good for us to acknowledge that as Christians as well, that we, we do have this relationship with God. And we also have an opportunity to invite people into that, to plug them in, to connect them with our creator God, who we know. So every human heart must live for something. And these are often good things that we elevate to God's status, and that's when they become problematic and we become disconnected. They keep us from putting God first and staying faithful. So how then do we stay faithful? So I've got another slide for this one. Thanks, Mo. How do we stay connected to our God of grace, who wants us to have abundant life, who actually wants to get us out of the prison of our idols? Well, I've got three tips for us tonight. The first tip is to identify our idols. Now, some of these things we know, you know, they're quite obvious, aren't they? We've been talking a little bit tonight about money, sex, power, things like that. Those are the things that are quite easy to identify, but I think there are some which are less easy to identify. And um, Tim Keller, again, has a good something to say on this. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I'll have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Back to my snakeskin loafers. That's exactly what was going through my head. If I have those, people will really like me. <laughs> it's ridiculous, but that's how our thought life goes, isn't it? I think it's anything, idols can be anything we spend our time on, our energy on, our passion on, without really giving it a second thought. And that could be a whole number of things, from kids, career, to um, achievement, to being popular, to a life of comfort, to, so, to a big social or moral cause. It can actually be anything. So it can be good to just ask ourselves, you know, where am I spending my money, my time, my energy? Because those things often point us to what our idols might be. Or where do you go in your imagination when you're sort of daydreaming that, oh, if only? Where does, that, where does your mind take you? Because that often reveals what's going on in our hearts. And if you're still not sure, then you could, practical tip, ask a very trusted friend, you know, what do you, what, what do you think drives me? Because it's quite interesting to ask people around you. So that's tip one. Tip two is to replace our idols. 
Colossians 3, verse 1 to 3 says, set your mind and heart on things above. Set your mind and heart on things above. So we need to replace those idols intentionally and wholeheartedly with what? Anyone? Jesus. It's always the answer in church, Jesus. <laughs> we need to try to replace them intentionally and wholeheartedly with Jesus. Is this easy? No, it's not. Well, not in my experience of being a Christian for the last 25 years. I think it's really hard, and I think it takes a lot of energy and focus. So I've got a few little things that might help us along the way. I think we need to do three things within this. Appreciate, rejoice, and rest in what Jesus has done. Appreciate, rejoice, and rest in what Jesus has done. So what does that mean? Appreciating what Jesus has done means looking to the cross, It means acknowledging that he's done what we couldn't. That when the world was broken and our relationship with God was broken and that we couldn't fix that, that he sent his only son to die in our place to fix it. That we could have an amazing, connected relationship with Jesus. And that that has entirely changed who we are as children of God. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are co-heirs with Christ. We inherit all that he inherits. And I think it's really important to just keep those things in mind, to appreciate them. And how do we do that practically? Well, I would say if you like singing worship songs, sing worship songs, worship him. Choose to do that. Choose to say the truths that we know from God over us. I'm trying to do this at the moment. I've got a little journal and it's got like um, affirmation bits in it and I've written down truths that I know about me. You know, I am a beloved daughter of God. I am good enough because God says I'm good enough. And I'm speaking these over myself when I don't feel like that because let's be honest, we don't always feel like that. We've got to remember the big story. We need to rejoice Um, in what Jesus has done for us as well. And I think this is really crucial because our idols are good things, aren't they? Family and work and success and money, all these things are good things as long as they're in their proper place. But if we don't rejoice in what God's done, then life becomes grey and boring and dutiful. And that is just no fun for anybody. You know, God came to give us life and life to the full. So again, practically, what does that look like? Well, I think it's good to just remember to be grateful, remember our gratitude. And again, I'm trying to write down, you know, things I'm grateful for at the end of the day. I'm really rubbish at journaling. Like, I feel like I should be good at it because I love reading, I love words, and I'm rubbish at journaling. But I'm trying to do it as a discipline. (laughs) Because I think if we enjoy these good things and appreciate them and rejoice in them, that that leads to freedom. So what about rest, resting in the things that God's done for us? I think this is about developing a core of peace. You know, we are in anxious times at the moment. Anxiety is rising. You know, I could feel it in, in, in the office with our team on Tuesday. There's a little bit of, oh my goodness, what does this mean for everybody? I can feel it at school. I can feel it amongst the children. And we need to be developing a core of peace at this time. Spending time in the quiet with God. And this is about spiritual disciplines. Bear with me. If you have a personality like mine, you go, oh, spiritual disciplines, it's just too hard. But actually, we really need to press into these things. Meditating, fasting, you know, thinking um, 
just being quiet and thinking in stillness with God, whether that's up a hill or you know, in your bedroom or wherever. I need this in my life. I feel it like deep in my chest. I need this. I also find it excruciatingly difficult to do, but I'm trying to do it. I'm trying to do it for five minutes a day at the moment, morning and evening. And if I manage one, I'm really pleased with myself. So there's a tip, go with that. I think these things are hard. I went to a, a revision evening this week for my son who's in year 10, so like first year GCSEs. And the teacher ended it by saying, this is gonna be really hard work. And she was talking to the parents, by the way, not the children at this point. She was like, this is gonna be really hard work, parents, but it is going to be worth it. And I think that's true of most things in life, and it's true of these things. It's, going to be, it's really hard work, but it'll be worth it. So that's my second tip. So tip three is to be patient. Identifying our idols, replacing our idols, is really a lifetime's work. It's not a one-off. It's not going to be done once and for all, because our idols change, but also... You know, we can't kind of think, well, I've dealt with the idol of money, that's never going to come back again. I've dealt with the snakeskin shoes, clothes, they're never going to call to me ever again. It's just not true. We just have to manage them, and it is a lifetime's work. We'll have good days, we'll have bad days, and we need to be kind to ourselves within that. It's a marathon. And remember, the Bible is full of people having to be patient. You know, Abraham... Uh, waited, we, he was mentioned, wasn't he, at the end of that passage we just read. He waited over 100 years to become a father when God had said, you're going to have as many descendants as the stars in the sky. And then Moses, how long did he have to wait before he was called by God? Does anyone know? Have a, sorry? 40? Yes, actually, how old was he when he started? He was actually 80. So he had 40 years with Pharaoh and all of that, then 40 years waiting in the desert, and then he you know, had the burning bush and all of that. And the Israelite slaves, they, God promised to bring them into freedom years before he actually did. So there is something about God's timing in this. So I think you know, we do all have idols in our lives. We have things that we rely on for our security. And that's because that's how God's designed us. He's designed us to worship him. He's designed us, he's designed every human heart to live for him, to live for something, to live for him. He's designed us to want something to capture our hearts and dreams because it's him. Imagine a world where we actually really went for that. With Jesus, our creator, the source of life and hope and truth. And we could replace our idols and appreciate, rejoice, and rest in what God has done for each of us. Imagine the impact on us, but also on people around us. You know, I think it would be amazing in how we could then build family, shine brightly, and live courageously, especially at the moment. Amen.